Welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast. I'm Jen Stevens. I'm a retired teacher, the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, and I love nothing more than building community. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've spent my life helping others through my work in healthcare and as a volunteer for various organizations. We are friends who share a love of learning, problem solving, and bringing people together. Each week, join us as we share inspiring stories and bring you new ideas designed to help you live your best life. So now let's learn something new, get inspired, and have some fun. everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm wonderful. I love wonderful. Wonderful is good. The sun is shining. It's 79 degrees. I feel like spring is coming. Knock on wood. Please don't get cold again. I know. Well, it's beautiful here. And what's, okay, not funny. I don't want to say funny, but interesting is we're down here having spring and there's like some of this blizzard ice storm going on. If you look at the weather map. Oh, is there? Yes. <laughs> and everybody, and we have a, a chat. I don't think you look at it anymore, but it's in Messenger and it's all the people who used to be moderators, the Marvelous Mods group, and they're all in there showing their ice storm. And I'm like, today I wore flip-flops. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at you, but people that are having an ice storm and Ice storms are the worst, but anyway, we're down here having spring, and it's sunny, and it, oh, it's good for the soul. Well, I put on, I put on my spring hoodie from um, Polly's Island today, so yay! Polly's Island makes me happy. Yeah, I put this on, and Eric's like, "It is almost eighty degrees outside. Why are you wearing a hoodie?" I'm like, "You know me." <laughs> well, also we have the spring wind. The thing about the beach, and this will be my first spring at the beach living here. Mm -hmm. By the time we got here in May, we were already over wind season. But the spring wind, like the first time we ever came when we bought our first condo, when we came in April, and it was like 72 degrees, but you would go out on that beach in the afternoon and you would be so cold because that wind coming off the ocean. Right. Because the ocean temperature is still cold. So it's like natural air conditioning. Well, (laughs) I'm not going to lie. My air conditioner's on too. Okay. Well, Uh, I've, I've been painting yeah, and it's been so humid here that I feel like the paint is well, not need curing it. well. Yeah. And so I flipped the air conditioning on yesterday just to try to pull some moisture out of the air to help maybe speed up the curing process of all this paint. I have to share with the listeners. I'll have to post pictures in the Facebook group. I am so proud of myself, you guys. I'm not a creative person, so I painted my fireplace all white, which I really wanted it kind of whitewashed. I like the softer look of it, but somebody else had painted it before I bought the house, this like ugly butterscotch brown color. I don't even know why they chose that color. So I just painted it white, but it was so just stark white. Like it was like this big solid wall of white and I didn't like it. So I had this idea that I would put a wash over it of my wall color, which is kind of a grayish beige, a grayish color. And I watered it down and I just would like swiped it on with a paintbrush. And then I took a wet rag and kind of smeared it. Yeah. But I kept all the grout lines pure white. So then I would clean out the grout lines and it's just got kind of a little bit of warmth and dimension to it now. It looks so good. I've seen the pictures. Yeah. I I was really scared when I started because I'm like, I don't know. It kind of just looks dirty. Well, I know you showed a picture of the corner of it when you started. (laughs) You're like, do you like it? And I said, no. (laughs) And I thought, you know what? I have nothing to lose other than some time. I needed to do a second coat anyway. So I was like, okay, if I hate it, I'll just put a second coat of white back over it. Once you had the whole thing done and the the grout lines. It looks really good. It looks really good. Yeah. It really, it makes it like stand out from the wall, but not like, like a sore thumb. Yeah. And it gives it a little bit of a like kind of weathered, antiqued look to it. And you left the mantle white. It is white. Eric's trying to get me to paint it black. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the mantle looking white. It's crisp because you've got other woodwork in the room. You've got those bookshelves. Those are white. I like a cohesive 
look mm-hmm. with the with the white from the woodwork. It's very traditional. Well, my tabletop is black and the wall sconces are black. And I'm getting a black fireplace insert. So Eric thinks it needs to be black. I don't think so. I kind of like it white myself. I like the crispness of it. It looked mm-hmm. really good. And it goes with the grout lines. That's my yep. vote. Well, so three weeks I've been working on this room and we pretty much fixed it. It's pretty much done. We got to mount some cabinet doors back and I got to clean it up and then it's ready to go. And it feels good. Yeah. It's nice to get your surroundings all settled and... Yeah. I mean, in seven weeks, I will have lived in this house five years, and I finally decorated that room. Well, it took me five years. Like I said, if you'd already done it when you first moved in, you might be tired of it by now. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so this is my encouragement to you. Even if you don't think you're creative, and even if you don't think you know what you're doing, just jump in there and do it. Yeah. Try it. Mm -hmm. You never know. That's how you know. Yeah. And you might have to do it again, but you learn. I've learned a lot. Yeah, And you know what you like and what you don't like. And when you don't like it, you're like, yeah, I didn't like that. So then you can fix it. Right. Yeah. And and like the lady at the paint store said, it's only paint. You can always mm-hmm. paint it again. Yep. So anyway, well, now it's time for our weekly good news segment. And today we have an email sharing a great customer service experience from Lisa Duke. She wrote, I have been using LMNT electrolytes for a couple years now. I'm a mail carrier and I live in South Mississippi. Our summers get really hot. The LMNT makes a huge difference for me to replenish my electrolytes. I recently tried one flavor that I really just did not care for. I messaged them about it and less than five minutes later, I received an email saying they were sending me not one, but two new boxes to replace that one and a sample pack for free. And they told me to just give the ones I didn't like away to a friend. I am blown away by the fast, amazing customer service. I will be a customer for life. Well, I think that's great. And, you know, Element sponsored the Intermittent Fasting podcast that I did for all those years with Melanie Avalon. Uh And they were an absolutely great company to work with. And, you know, they don't sponsor us. This is not a paid ad from Element. We're not getting anything by saying this to you. But they're a great company that if you use electrolytes, they're a great company. And their raw formula is perfect for the clean fast. The flavored mm-hmm. ones, of course, would not be if you're a faster. Save flavored ones for your eating window. But I don't use any electrolytes. I do the fast. use electrolytes, but I've never used theirs. Yeah, I've you know they sent them to me all the time because they sponsored me. I got them all for free all the time. They, every month I got a shipment. And they kept piling up and had boxes and boxes of them and I didn't use them. So because I don't I don't use electrolytes. So I ended up giving them to my neighbor in Augusta. Her uh-huh. um, her son was a football player. And so they gave them to the football team of the high school. Oh, well that's R- Richmond that's Academy nice. in Augusta, Georgia. Got some electrolytes and <laughs> now I'm not affiliated with that podcast anymore. So they don't, you know, send them to me anymore. But they're they're such a great company. But I had so many element <laughs> electrolyte boxes, and you can't throw them away. They're amazing. So I was like, right. "Who could use these? Who is even going to care?" But maybe because I'm not a big sweater, I don't. I don't sweat a lot, and I also don't drink a ton of water. You drink a lot of water. I do, and I don't know why my body just goes through electrolytes. So yeah, like we're all different. Yep. Yep. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. So before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about some of the companies that make it possible for us to bring you the podcast. If you've read Cleanish, You know, I consider myself to be someone who eats mainly clean. That's actually in the subtitle. I eat mainly clean. I don't need to be perfect. That's where the ish comes in. But I do want to have high quality food. I want it to be delicious and window worthy. And I don't want to have to be worried about funky chemicals or additives, artificial junk. So when it comes to eating mostly clean, I'm really, really busy. So I rely on meals from Green Chef window-worthy openers from Daily Harvest, and clean wines from Dry Farm Wines. All of those companies are linked at jenstevens.com slash cleanish, and you can find promo codes that give you special savings on each. And honestly, I don't know what I would do without them. (laughs) (laughs) 
And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are joined by Dr. Tabitha Barber, the host of the Gutsy Gynecologist podcast. Dr. Tabitha is on a mission to share her wisdom and knowledge with women everywhere to help them reclaim and optimize their health and happiness in order for them to live their best life. She joins us today to discuss issues surrounding women's health with useful tips to help women reclaim their purpose and vitality in a healthy, happy body. Welcome, Dr. Tabitha. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm so glad to talk to you. And before we get into more details, I want everybody to know that Tabitha is the doctor who got me started with my bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. We're in a group together. So we were in Park City, Utah in June. And she said, listen, you got to do something with your hormones or you're going to start to age. You're going to not feel as good. good. You're going to see differences all over your body. And I just really had no idea. So I want to thank you for getting me started, Tabitha, and and sending us down this journey. And a lot of my listeners on both this podcast and Intermittent Fasting Stories have started to ask questions that they hadn't asked before. Because you know me, I have a big mouth, (laughs) no matter what it's about. And I, I think this is something that we have not really been educated on. You know, our hormones altogether, it's almost like a secret, you know, and our, our mothers certainly didn't tell us. So thank you for, for oh. getting me started and for being here today. Well, and not only are there questions, the people have questions, but for every question they have, they can find five answers. Oh my gosh, I mean, you're so right. There's no consistent thought process out there. Yeah, that's why we need to keep having these conversations. And I love that you're bringing someone on. You know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I have seen it from both sides, right? Practicing as a conventional gynecologist for 20 years, I know exactly what's happening when women go to their gynecologist. I know what they're being told. I know what things they're being offered and what the thought patterns are and the algorithms that are followed by these doctors. And now, because I have gone on to do all of this extra training in functional medicine and hormone health. I know there's a better way, right? So I bring this unique perspective of like, we're getting it wrong. We're really doing women a disservice and our medical system is very antiquated. They're practicing the way they did in the 1950s. And it's very sad. It does not support us as women, especially when it comes to perimenopause and menopause, we're just failing women. So we need to talk about all of this. I think so. Well, you know, before we get into our lesson today, what is the overall lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? If you take nothing else away from today, I want you to realize that your symptoms that you're complaining about and feeling every day, those are super important messages from your body. Your body's trying to tell you something. It's information. And so if we can just take a step back and stop being so emotionally driven by it all and be curious, what is my body trying to tell me with these you know, with this weight gain, with these headaches, with not sleeping at night, you can almost always get to the root cause of what is going on. So you want to start asking, why am I having these symptoms instead of what band-aid can I get use to get rid of them or to cover them up? That is the conventional way of doing things and it doesn't work. That's huge. Yeah. That That really, really is. And I love that you have, you know, the part of your your history as a doctor where you were conventional. And then you said there has to be a better way. So now you're, you do functional medicine. You're a functional gynecologist. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it really is the difference between Band-Aid medicine, meaning our whole system of medicine is focused around giving you a diagnosis and some type of treatment to alleviate your symptoms. It's very much disease focused. And so... I get 15 minutes with a patient. They tell me their problems. I have to come up with a solution and it's going to be a quick prescription or procedure that we're going to schedule or plan for another time. And unfortunately, a lot of those treatments cause new problems and new issues and they don't actually get to the root cause. So functional gynecology is taking that step back and looking upstream, we call it, to what are the driving factors causing these symptoms? And it often stems from gut issues and liver issues, 
and adrenal problems, but that's not how we're trained in conventional gynecology. So I think I've shared this with Jen before, but I don't think most women realize that gynecologists are actually surgeons. We are not hormone experts. I spent four years cutting people, okay? I loved being a surgeon. I loved delivering babies and doing stat C-sections and all these procedures in the office. I didn't study all these intricacies of how the systems work together and the adrenals affect the thyroid and the gut affects everything. Like that was not taught to me. That is not how gynecologists are trained. So in my mind, if there was an issue, we just cut it out, you know, like, and wow. we're happy to do it because surgeons love to do surgery. I'm just going to be super honest with right. you, you know? And so when you go to a gynecologist and say, my uterus isn't working, essentially, it's bleeding too much, there's pain. They're like, yes, let's do surgery because that's what they are good at. <laughs> right. You know, that just blows my mind, Tabitha, to hear that you were not trained in your your gynecology training with hormones, because I mean, that's literally what controls it all. Yeah. I mean, I got the basic stuff, the same amount that the family practice doctor did or the other doctors. It's like, here's how the menstrual cycle is supposed to work in a healthy person from, you know, puberty onward. But we don't get trained in all the imbalances that happen and how the other systems affect that cycle. We're literally trained, like, use the birth control pill to stop that cycle, essentially, and override that system. And that's such an important point, you guys, because I don't think women are, like, given this false sense of security that the birth control pill is somehow regulating their hormones. That's what we say as gynecologists. It's just going to regulate your cycle. I thought it was. Yes, because that's the words that we use, and they're absolutely false. It's a flat-out lie. We are stopping your hormone production. We are shutting down the communication between your brain and your ovaries. You are no longer making your sex hormones. You are taking synthetic hormones in your mouth. And that's where you're getting your hormones from. And so that is why so many women who come off the pill, their cycle doesn't come back online. Their brain and ovaries don't restart their production. Or if they do, it's irregular. That's why our testosterone tanks when we're on the pill, because we're not making any and there's no testosterone in the birth control pill. So all of these things, we're just not told. Right. I keep reading, I have several friends who are in their 40s who are dealing with really heavy, awful periods, right? And a lot of them are healthcare practitioners and they're like, no, I do not want to have major surgery. I don't want a hysterectomy. They're trying to manage the symptoms. And several of them keep being told by their doctors, oh, if we give you a low dose birth control, it'll take care of that. And (laughs) they're like, okay, but... It's not taking care of it. It's just masking it. Right. So it. Exactly. So talk about, talk about that. Why in our forties do women start having these awful heavy periods? Yeah. So what I didn't learn in medical school or my OBGYN training is all of the hormone imbalances that occur, meaning your estrogen and progesterone and testosterone production are supposed to be in a certain ratio. They're supposed to go up at certain points and come down and be in harmony, right? It's like a symphony playing an orchestra. Things affect that production and how you break down those hormones and maybe you recycle them or reuse them. And it's an accumulation effect because the biggest driver of these hormone imbalances are how well your body is functioning, how well your gut and liver are functioning, What are the environmental toxins that you're accumulating every day over time? And so it's at this point of like getting into our late 30s, early 40s that we've accumulated all of this damage. So the simplest one to understand is xenoestrogens. Those are chemicals that we have made as man that literally didn't exist before like the 1960s, 1970s. It's all of the flexible plastic you see in our world. And these get into our body and they actually attach to the hormone receptors and send a warped signal. That's why we see more man boobs and 
kids developing puberty mm-hmm. at a younger and younger age and all of this obesity because these xenoestrogens are telling our estrogen receptors, grow that tissue, grow those fat cells. And so we're just accumulating these toxins over our life. And that is one of the drivers toward estrogen dominance. So there's a couple other ones. Gut issues are huge, and that's getting worse over time just with our processed diet. (laughs) You guys probably see that all day long. And people would be really surprised to know that there's actually something called the astrobilome. It's certain bacteria in your gut that cause you to reabsorb estrogen or not. So it affects your hormone levels. There's a an enzyme that bacteria produce called beta-glucuronidase. And that enzyme actually cuts the garbage tag off the enzyme that your body just worked so hard to get rid of and is trying to remove through your stool. So you could have a functioning liver, metabolize your estrogen, But if you have the wrong bacteria in your gut, you might absorb that estrogen back into your body and use it again. And then if you're constipated, which so many women are, we can talk about that too, that gives it longer and longer time for your body to reabsorb those estrogens. So that is just one amazing example of like how our other systems are affecting our hormones. And the gynecologist is not putting two to two together. They're not asking you, are you constipated? You know what I mean? And the other piece of it is the liver. So I mentioned like your estrogen has to get metabolized, meaning you're done with it. You put this garbage tag on it that says send to the urine and the stool. And that process in the liver can't happen effectively if you don't have a methyl group to put the garbage tag on. That methyl group comes from B vitamins and those are really deficient in our diet, especially if you're vegan or vegetarian as a woman, that really can cause you to not metabolize your estrogen. And then the thing I've seen over the past couple of years is alcohol. We're all drinking alcohol since this Mm -hmm. pandemic, right? We're bored. We're lonely. We're stressed out. Whatever our reason is. We got in the habit. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I did it too. Like I I think 30 days into COVID, I was like, what am I doing? I'm like drinking every night and I had to cut myself off. But I knew enough because my period was getting crazy heavy. So every time our liver has to metabolize alcohol, it can't metabolize our estrogen. It has to put it on the back burner for later. And because it always wants to do exogenous stuff first, like alcohol, Tylenol, medicines, whatever you're taking before your own stuff. Whatever you put in, your body's going to handle that first. Yeah, it's got to get rid of it. So side pivot from that, we know that increased alcohol consumption is linked to breast cancer. Is that the correlation? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Sure. You're so smart. So it's not the estrogen. It's how we are metabolizing it. That is the key. And that is why alcohol is one of the biggest factors for breast cancer. Wow. That is something to think about for sure. Yes. And all of that stuff, all of those imbalances lead to this really common hormone pattern in our late 30s and 40s called estrogen dominance. So let's talk about that. Estrogen dominance, you know, what is it? What are some signs that you might have it? Yeah. So... This is another term. It didn't even exist when I went to medical school, I will tell you. And if you go to your gynecologist, they might tell you that is not a thing. That's, you know, that's what they say. Just like adrenal Fatigue. fatigue or adrenal issues are not a thing because that is not what they learned. And so you honestly don't even be mad at them. They don't right. know any different. Go somewhere else. Okay. So estrogen dominance is because of all those things we just mentioned where you have too much estrogen circulating and not enough progesterone. and Or it could just be because you have those xenoestrogens sending estrogen signals as well. And so the most common picture of this is we have a little extra weight. Estrogen is a growth hormone. It makes our breasts grow. It makes our hips grow. It makes the lining inside of our uterus grow because it thinks you might get pregnant and implant that baby. And so all of a sudden, your periods start getting heavier. They might be more painful. Estrogen dominance is 
one of the driving factors for endometriosis and fibroids and all of that growth of GYN conditions. So it's like estrogen and inflammation is the perfect storm to create those conditions. And I actually had terrible fibroids, Tabitha, in 2013 Mm. prior to intermittent fasting. I had to have surgery to have the fibroids removed. And that was also when I was obese. So if you go back to that point, you know, it makes a lot of sense. There was a lot of inflammation in my body. I wasn't taking birth control pills because I had a tubal ligation. I somehow felt like I did not want to keep keep taking birth control pills, but I did have the fibroids. Well, Jen, yeah, you are hitting on something really important. Our fat cells actually make a form of estrogen called estrone. And so that is why obesity is the number one risk factor for uterine cancer. It's because the fat cells are making extra estrogen. And unfortunately, the gynecologist just says lose weight and good luck, but that's not very helpful, right? right? I mean, how would I do that? If I did that, I would have lost the weight already. I promise no woman in the world is like carrying the weight for no reason. (laughs) So let me ask you this. So I see uterine fibroids in my work. Um, I work in the ER daily. And I, in my head, have always felt like there must be a link between insulin resistance and uterine fibroids because I look at a patient, I'll be like, this person's clearly insulin resistant and they have fibroids. I've noticed race seems to matter a little bit. Is there any, is there a link there? Is there a link between insulin resistance and estrogen dominance? Or is that something I'm making up? There definitely is. Okay. (laughs) Nope, there's a definite link. And what's happening is, It's kind of the chicken and the egg. We're not sure which is the initial driver, but we know that you get stuck in this vicious cycle of too much estrogen causes your cells to not hear the signals from insulin and too much elevated blood sugar chronically and too much insulin drives estrogen dysfunction and not being able to metabolize it. And, you know, then you add in the compounding factor of the fat cells and the liver dysfunction. And so it is this vicious cycle that it's really hard for women to get out of once it starts. And then you have this compounding factor of the gallbladder. So you probably see this in the ER as well. Women typically in their 40s, overweight, start having pain under their right rib cage when they eat. And it's because too much estrogen causes the gallbladder to be lazy. And so it doesn't contract and squeeze out the bile when you're eating when you need to, to absorb your fats. And so the bile sits in the gallbladder and eventually it starts. You get a sludgy gallbladder. It's getting yep. sludgy. And then they turn into stones because your gallbladder is not contracting because the estrogen has put it to sleep. And so it's super common for me to see this progressive scenario of women who have these estrogen dominant symptoms, they have gallbladder issues or they got their gallbladder taken out, they go on to have an endometrial ablation to get rid of the heavy periods or a hysterectomy. And then two to five years later, they get diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because... We got rid of this symptom of the estrogen dominance, but we didn't stop the estrogen dominance. So it continued to feed that breast tissue. That makes sense. So, and again, that goes back to having high estrone because I think people don't understand. I barely understand, (laughs) but there's more than one kind of estrogen. You know, estradiol, that's what I'm taking through the patch, but estrone is different. What's the difference between estradiol and estrone? Yes, so we have... Three main types of estrogen, estradiol, estrone, and estriol. And they are just a little bit different chemically. Like if you've ever taken chemistry class and you move a carbon or a hydrogen or an oxygen, it changes the molecule, sometimes a little bit, sometimes a lot. And so our body does this because those chemicals send a little bit different signals, So estriol is a much weaker estrogen. It's really high during pregnancy. It tends to be higher in menopause. It helps with vaginal health and keeping our skin healthy. And estradiol can turn into estriol. Estrone can turn into estriol. Estradiol can turn into estrone. So it all depends on what your body 
is trying to do. Have I? Is it true that some estrogen supplements have estradiol and estrogel both in them? I feel like Um, I've read that. Prescriptions. So something called Biest is a really common compounded cream that physicians will prescribe. And Biest means estrone plus estradiol. And for a long time, we or estriol, depending on you know how they're compounding it, we thought giving that physiologic, you know, the compound of all those together was the smartest, safest way. We're starting to see that because we take the estradiol and we transform it ourselves, we don't necessarily need all that those makes sense. given to us in a prescription. But it is common that that is how most people make estrogen creams. Okay. All right. So that's more likely to be in a cream if you're t- if you're prescribed a cream. Okay. Yes. Good yes. to know. It is not available as a pill unless it's compounded or a patch. It's it's mostly creams. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I thought I had read somewhere that there were two estrogens that you wanted circulating through your body. But if you, if you supplement estradiol, your body's making the estradiol. Yes. And that's another key point is when you take estrogen orally in the form of a pill, your gut actually converts some of that estradiol into estrone before you even absorb it in your bloodstream and use it. So that is one of the main reasons why the estradiol pill showed a risk of uh, blood clot and stroke in studies that have been done. And we don't favor that in the, you know, the integrative functional space. We just, we prefer the transdermal. The patch or the the cream. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's good to know. So uh, when it comes to hysterectomies, so many women are having them. I tell people, I tell people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of my periods. I just want a hysterectomy. And I'm like, no, you don't. Keep your parts in place. (laughs) When should a person really have a hysterectomy? That's a great question. And I get a lot of women who want to have just a consultation visit with me. You know, it's like, this is what's been recommended to me. Do I really need to go through this? And I want women to take it seriously because it it, it is major surgery. People, you know, treat it like, oh, well, it's outpatient. I go home the same day. Is it really that big of a deal? But here's the thing. Our Organs around our uterus and ovaries and fallopian tubes literally are touching the other organs in our abdomen and pelvis. So a lot of people don't know this. If I go in as a surgeon, your bowels are laying on your uterus and your bladder is connected physically to your uterus. So I have to dissect or peel away your bladder off of your uterus if I want to remove your uterus. So right there, you have a risk of having a bladder injury. And the ureters, which are the tubes from the kidneys to the bladder, they run down the side of your pelvis and they're literally a half an inch to an inch away from the vessels, the artery and vein that supply your ovary. So I have to be a really good surgeon and not hurt your ureter. That's the other biggest common thing that happens with hysterectomies. And so we act like this is no big deal, but those complications are huge and they're not that uncommon for women. So I really do want women to think about it. And so the biggest factors are, why are you being recommended a hysterectomy? Are you having symptoms of estrogen dominance? And if you are, have you done all the things to look at those root causes. Are you having gut issues? Do we need to get your gut back into balance? Is your diet a wreck? Are you stressed out like crazy and killing your gut bacteria? Are you drinking too much alcohol? The recommended maximum for women is literally one glass of alcohol. And most women exceed that. So you got to ask yourself that. Like one glass a week. <laughs> so they say one glass a day, okay. but for optimal estrogen metabolism, yes, it's one to two a week because your liver just can, we're not created to drink alcohol. We just really aren't. So if you have a, anatomical reasons like fibroids, endometriosis that has caused scarring, it's caused your bowels to attach to your ovaries or uterus, your fallopian tubes. Like if you physically need things 
shifted or removed, sometimes surgery is necessary at that point. Sometimes things have progressed so much that that is your best option. But I always recommend you do the foundational work first. Make sure you have healed any gut issues and gotten rid of that inflammation that's driving these processes. Make sure your liver is functioning and you're metabolizing your hormones. Get your hormones evaluated. Do testing. See what they look like, right? Before you jump on this surgical bandwagon, because like I said, you might get rid of that period or that pain, but if you don't address the hormone imbalance, you're just going to have new problems down the road and nobody wants that. Right. You've just stopped the symptom. It would be like if you had a broken finger and you went to the doctor and they just cut it off. (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, that's right. <laughs> you right. no longer got a broken finger. <laughs> that's like what we do. I know. It's, it, it seems crazy, but that literally is how we, you know, do stuff. Like the gallbladder. If it's not, you know, if it's causing pain, we'll just cut it out. Let's not find out why it's not working or why you're making these gallstones. Oh, and by the way, you actually need your gallbladder in the bile. Otherwise, you're going to struggle to digest your food the rest of your life. But they don't tell you that. So there's not really a, this true informed consent. It's like they tell you what they know, but they don't tell you the whole picture. Well, getting it cut out will stop the gallbladder pain, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then you'll have diarrhea if you try to eat healthy fats. So. Well, yeah, I, you know, I had my gallbladder to, out at 18, right after I had, I had a baby in uh, April of 1992. And in May of 1992, I had to have my gallbladder yanked out. And I was having attacks all through my pregnancy and didn't realize that's what it was. They kept testing me for blood clots in my lungs. It was my gallbladder. And then after she was born, one night I'm writhing on the floor thinking I'm dying. I remember telling my mom, please take care of my baby. I'm like, <laughs> I thought I was dying. They took my gallbladder out, right? Well, my mom had hers taken out at 19. My sister had hers taken out at 18. And I just thought it was a genetic thing. I was like, okay, we're just genetically predisposed to gallbladder issues. But then I'm listening to you talk. I had endometrial ablation at 35. And oh my gosh, Sherry. Yes, you do have genetic issues, but it's probably with how you metabolize your estrogen. There's two common gene issues, MTHFR and COMPT or COMT. I have MTHFR mutations. Yes. So your body just can't handle its estrogens very well. And pregnancy is a high estriol state and that really slows the gallbladder. So that is the other time that we see major gallbladder issues or gut issues. Everything slows down. And so it's really common for women to have that removed right after pregnancy. So yeah, it, it sucks that we can go back and look through the timeline of your life and see the pattern. I want women to be able to go to the doctor and foresee that before it happens. I want them to say, this is the trajectory that you're on. You're going to end up like Sherry and she's going to, you know, tell you like, that's probably not the funnest journey to go on. Right. (laughs) So we just need to keep sharing our stories with women and helping us understand what the heck we're all dealing with. It is really sad. You know, we tell girls as they're going through puberty, okay, well, any day now you're going to start bleeding once a month and here's what you do about it. And then that's, that's what we tell girls when they're growing up. And then one day you'll be in your fifties and, and that nightmare will stop and everything you'll, you'll never bleed again. And people act like it's some rite of passage, but I'm just going to tell you, it's not the funnest thing ever. And when you don't know what's going on with your body and why you suddenly feel 90, it's good to know what's happening. And and I think we've just done a disservice to women everywhere by not talking about this more. Well, and, you know, for me and probably a lot of women, I was so excited to be going through menopause because I was excited to not have my period anymore. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to have my period anymore. This is going to be amazing. And then (laughs) I realized the other things, vaginal atrophy, what is that? What? That doesn't sound like me. I mean, (laughs) pain, what is this? You know, can't sleep at night. All these different things are going on. And I'm like, oh, if I'd have known all that, I'd have been like, thank you, periods. (laughs) 
Yes. And most likely the doctor said, good luck with that. You know, they didn't have a lot of options for you, but I am here to tell your listeners, there are options. You do not have to have painful intercourse. You do not have to feel miserable and gain weight and not have your brain work. That's a really big complaint I get is, you know, women are trying to run companies or run families or do all these amazing things are at the height of their life in their late forties. Like we're finally coming into our own and all of a sudden our brain doesn't work anymore. Like that's not okay. You know, and that was totally my issue. And that's what really drove me to fasting in the first place and then kept me there because I had so much clarity as soon as I stopped eating all of the time, even though my hormones were doing this thing, at least I was getting some clarity from fasting. And I think that is women are not realizing that brain issues, joint pain, that's a huge one, just overall fatigue, hair loss, all of these are because of hormone imbalances. They get pushed off for other reasons or poo-pooed. How about, let's talk about lack of libido. Because here's the thing, I didn't even really realize it was like happening to me per se. It wasn't just like an overnight thing, right? But then all of a sudden, you know, my poor husband. And I'm like, leave me alone. Don't touch me. I'm not interested, you know? And in my head, I was like, I don't care if I ever have sex again. That's not normal. I mean, now that I feel better and my libido's back, I was like, what was wrong with me? Why did I think that was normal? But it happens so slowly that you don't realize that something has kind of changed. This is so huge. Like, I remember the day my estrogen tanked. I was so depressed I couldn't get off the couch, but I also didn't want to talk to my husband and I I wanted him gone. Like I was done. I, I wanted him gone. And I realized this is not normal. Like you said, what is happening? It took me multiple days. It took me three days to realize my estrogen had just gone in the gutter. And when I put an estrogen patch on, I liked my husband again. And that was a real big epiphany moment for me. Oh my gosh, you have to share this with women because marriages are being ruined. Relationships are suffering. Women are not even knowing who they are anymore because our hormones really do define us as women. They they have so much to do with how we feel and how we act. And we don't realize that. The other epidemic that happens is with all all these women being on birth control pills, their libidos tanked in their 20s and 30s because they're no longer making those hormones. They're not getting any testosterone. I remember, this was so sad. I had a woman who delivered her second baby and she was adorable. She was probably 26 years old. Her husband was just a, the cutest little guy. You know, they were an adorable couple. And you would look at them and just think they have the perfect life. And I remember her coming in at her six-week postpartum, and she was crying, and she was like, I hate my husband. I don't want him to even be here. I just want to be with my babies. And I was like, oh, you just need an antidepressant. You're going to be fine, right? This is how we treat unconventional OB. So I gave her Zoloft. Three months later, she came back to me, and she was like, you have to figure me out because my husband is talking about divorce and I don't want to divorce him, but I don't really like him. I don't want to have sex. What is wrong with me? And I was just starting to study functional medicine. And so I tested her hormones and she had no testosterone and her other hormones, her estrogen, progesterone were in the toilet too. And I said, okay, why don't we try and go off of this birth control pill that you went on at at postpartum because she didn't want to have any more kids. And just see, you're not having sex anyway. You're not going to get pregnant. It will be okay, right? And she went off the pill. And I think it was five weeks later, it was not long. She called and talked to my triage nurse and said, please thank Dr. Barber from the bottom of my heart. I like my husband again. And now I need some birth control. (laughs) And it was incredible. And I think... He ended up getting a vasectomy or something. I don't remember. But 
that was a really pivotal moment as a conventional OBGYN to think the birth control pill is affecting women's relationships and how they feel and what they think. And no one taught me that. I was Mm -hmm. angry, you know? Would you talk, um, listening to you talk about that made me think about IUDs. Are they good, bad, better? Yeah. Let's talk about birth control. (laughs) (laughs) So the birth control pills almost all have some kind of estrogen and some kind of synthetic progestin, meaning they're like progesterone, which your body makes, but they're a little bit different. So they send the same, same signal to the uterus, don't overgrow the lining, but they send a warp signal to your brain and everything else. So that's why oftentimes we get weight gain, anxiety, depression, all these side effects because it's of the synthetic okay. progestin and estrogen. So the pills, the Depo shot is a progestin only. The um, Nexplanon, Rod, Norplan, all those are progestin only. So you're not getting the estrogen component. And those are often like weight gain, crazy irregular periods because there's no, no cycle to the uterus at all. The ring is estrogen and progestin. And then the IUDs, there are hormone ones and non-hormones. So the hormone ones range from a really high dose, like Mirena IUD is, I think, 65 milligrams, whereas something like a Skyla might be seven and a half milligrams, somewhere in there. And that's milligrams of what? What are you getting? Of a progestin only. Because let me just tell you, I got a Marina, and that was right before my weight gain went crazy. And this was back in probably 2003. I was going to say, I had a Mirena in my late 20s, and I bled for three months straight to the point that I pulled it out myself. (laughs) I pulled mine out myself too, Sherry. I did the same thing. Oh, my gosh, Sherry. I pulled mine out too. (laughs) Oh, don't do that, women. Do not pull yours out. That is hilarious that we've all done that. I pulled mine out too, but it was because I was so depressed. I wanted to jump out a window. It was scary. I didn't know who I was. And some women absolutely love it. They feel great. But I would say by and large, at least 60 plus percent of women have major issues with these progestin IUDs. So sometimes you can get away with going a lower dose and the symptoms might not be as bad. But here's the really important part to understand that we do not tell you as an OBGYN. What we say is, There's a synthetic progestin in the IUD. It gets released a little bit every single day, and it just keeps the lining inside the uterus from growing too thick, so you either have much lighter periods or no periods. The part we don't say is that your ovary is less than an inch away from your uterus with a big fat artery connecting the two, and that progestin is just going into the bloodstream and telling your ovaries to stop making their hormones. It's shutting down that system, that production. And so it's very common for you to not have periods because you're not making your hormones anymore and to have no libido and to gain weight and be in this menopausal state that no one is realizing that you're in. And then all of a sudden your blood sugar creeps up and you start to get insulin resistance and weight gain. And it's all because of these darn hormones that no one is acknowledging. They poo-poo you, right? Yeah. It it frustrates me a lot. I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place. What I'm saying is, like, have informed consent. Be told what you're Mm -hmm. signing up for. That's what I am advocating. And then the copper IUD doesn't have any hormones. And so it just creates kind of this toxic environment in the uterus so that the sperm die when they get into there. And there is evidence that some of that copper, they, they claim it's inert and it can't get absorbed, but there have been multiple cases of women who do absorb the copper and copper and estrogen dominance very much go together. It's a mineral that if it gets imbalanced, drives metabolism dysfunction yet again. So it's a real thing that we aren't talking about. So encourage your man to have a vasectomy. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yes. Chad wouldn't do it. So I had to just, like I said, I had a tubal ligation because I was like, I can do this. Yes. 
Are there downsides to a tubal ligation? That's a great question. So the biggest downside is that you're blocking the flow of the natural fluid that's produced in the tube all the time. And if you get a tubal plus an ablation, so let me explain. The uterus is a potential space. Think of a balloon that hasn't been filled up. It's Mm -hmm. flat. The walls are touching each other. And it's not until you put air in the balloon that the walls are no longer touching. So it's this potential space. And that's where the lining inside the uterus grows every month. And then you bleed and shed it off as a period. So you're not only bleeding blood, but all that tissue off. Your fallopian tubes make fluid. It's it's a straw-colored fluid called serous fluid, and it has to flow somewhere. So it's either going to flow out into your abdomen or down your uterus out through the vagina. If you have an ablation, what we do is we burn that lining inside of that potential space. And as soon as we're done with the procedure, those walls collapse together and they start to glue and scar shut together. And unfortunately, because you keep having the hormones stimulating those cells, some of those can start to grow again. And so what can happen is you can get little patches of growth inside this potential space, but things are scarred. So the blood and tissue can't necessarily easily flow out. And so women can get cyclical pain after an ablation if they're still having cycling hormones or the fluid in between where the tube got blocked from the tubal ligation and the blockage from the ablation at the uterus, that tube can fill up like a balloon too. And that is not fun. That's usually ending you up in the ER with, you know, a tubal abscess or a tubal cyst, things like that. So there's risks with just an ablation as well. And you have to know like what to be looking for, because some women are having these done way before menopause. You know, when I first was in training, ablation was just coming out. It was super popular. And every medical device company in the medical world was like creating their own ablation that we were supposed to use. And so I like trained on all these different kinds of ways to do an ablation. And unfortunately, a lot of women had a lot of complications and we learned a lot. Bladders got burned, bowels got burned, uteruses got punctured and injured and had to be removed. And so they're much safer nowadays but they're still not without risk. And the biggest risk, I think... Well, I'm now so grateful. (laughs) You're so grateful that you didn't have it. That I didn't have one because I had those giant fibroids and I couldn't because I was having the heavy bleeding and a friend said, go get an ablation. It worked for me. And I'm like, sign me up. And I went to the doctor and my doctor was like, no, you have giant fibroids. We can't do an ablation. You have to have fibroid surgery instead. But I am so grateful for those fibroids now. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you look at the silver lining and everything, Jen. So we just have a little bit of time left, but there's something that I don't think we talk about enough for women, and that's testosterone. I think most women think that's a male hormone. Women don't need testosterone, whatever, whatever. Can you talk about that just for a few minutes? Yeah. So we do make testosterone and we do need it as women. It is you know, my friend calls it the GSD hormone, get stuff done hormone. (laughs) It gets you going. It, It gives you not only a sex drive, but just drive for life. And so when you don't have that, you really don't want to get up and do stuff during the day. And you aren't able to build muscle mass. And muscle is the key fat burning Uh organ in our body. So if we don't have good muscle strength, then we're going to struggle with our weight. And that is a really common thing for women. Once your other hormones start to decline, the testosterone can decline as well. And, you know, we focus on libido, but it's so much more than that. It really does just keep us, you know, give us our zest for life. And like I said, a lot of women... And it helped my moods. Yeah, exactly. Like it it makes you lively. My doctor asked me, are you moody? And I was like, I don't think so. And he said, do you ever find yourself just in a rage for no reason? (laughs) And I was like, well, now that you say that, yes, I would find myself (laughs) like just instantly getting... And I'm a pretty like even keel person, but I would find myself just getting really 
mad at something that shouldn't be a big deal. And uh, I asked my husband, and he's sitting in the car while I'm in my appointment. I'm texting him. Am, am I moody? Do I get into rages? And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ask a spouse. We know. <laughs> and one of the things I noticed after I started testosterone replacement was my moods are way back to I'm way more even keeled. I don't get so fired up. And muscle recovery, like after yeah. a workout. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take me three days to yes. recover. But when it comes to your husband's ladies or partners, your the man in your life, if he's suddenly moody and can't get up off the couch, it could be testosterone oh for yes. him. Big time. So Yes. And as I mentioned, all of this extra estrogen in our environment and all of our stress and gut issues really is killing the testosterone in our yeah. men. Like it is a huge issue. So at what um, age? You, if you go to your regular doctor and ask for that, they might tell you it's fine because they're looking at ranges that are to rule out like a tumor or something causing crazy high testosterone. So I've seen men who, you know, were told their testosterone was normal and it was like 300. Men can't function at 300. Ask any, they feel miserable. Yeah. So you really do need to be evaluated by someone who knows how to interpret Chad has just started with, with testosterone and it's made, it made a difference. I could tell. And what's that? What's a yeah. good level for a postmenopausal woman? So there's a couple different types no, of No, for testosterone, so I meant. Total, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I meant testosterone. There's uh-huh. a total testosterone level, and most women feel good above 30, you know, at minimum. Free testosterone is how much is available at the moment, whereas total is also bound to a carrier protein, so it can't bind to the receptor and send the signal. And so you, it's important to know what your free level is, and that you want to at least be a one or higher. You know, if you're lower than that, you're probably going to be struggling. And sometimes women will only get one lab drawn or the other, And the other piece is sex hormone binding globulin. That tells you how much of that carrier protein is around because if you have too much carrier protein and all your hormones are attached to it, it doesn't matter how high your levels, you won't be able to use them effectively. And there's things that cause elevated sex hormone binding globulin like thyroid issues. So it's really important that you go to somebody who understands all this. So you need to find a functional medicine doctor. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> how do people, if you really want to be optimized. How do people find somebody? Because that's the biggest question yep. that we get. Yes, yes. So A4M is a great resource. If, if somebody's been trained through the anti-aging medicine group or the Institute of Functional Medicine, ifm.org. You can go, you can search for a practitioner in your area, that type of thing. There is a company called BioT that does hormone pellets. There's positive and negatives to pellets, right? But you have to do your homework and really know what you're stepping into because once you get a pellet put in, it's Mm -hmm. in there for three or four months, whether you like it or not. So you got to know what you're signing up for. I recommend trying other forms of hormones before jumping into pellets. And you can work with doctors like me who do telehealth, you know, Jin sees me from her beach. There you go. <laughs> and I'm up in Michigan <laughs> and we do it all via a HIPAA compliant Zoom. I It's amazing to me. That's like the one good thing that came out of COVID. It's amazing how comprehensive of a picture I can really get just talking to Jen, looking at all her test results. And then we tweak stuff. I send in the prescriptions. We do follow-up levels to make sure we're we're, where we're supposed to be. I needed a different progesterone level and we worked that out. So when I was struggling, I did try to get a hold of you, but you said you were no longer accepting clients. Are you back to accepting clients or are you still full? (laughs) I was a little overwhelmed (laughs) for a hot minute. Yes, I have grown my team significantly. So it's not just me. Now you can see another provider. And so there's not a crazy huge waiting list. It's so much better. Awesome. Fabulous. How do people find you? 
So just go to drtabatha.com. It's D-R-T-A-B-A-T-H-A, all A's, no I's. There's a form you fill out just so that we can know why you're reaching out to us. And we'll just schedule a free call with my team and they'll get you taken care of. Awesome. Fabulous. We've got that in the show notes. So people will be able to find you and it it, it (laughs) changes everything. I just can't thank you enough. My goodness. Thank you so much for being here today, Tabitha. My pleasure, ladies. And now it's time for our listener-led lesson. It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Danielle. She says, as an educator of almost 20 years, last summer I decided to seek employment to earn some extra income and help my two preteen boys become a bit more independent at home. I started answering phones at a local care center as well as working for the activities department. I also came away with a lesson from that time. Joy is a choice. I didn't say happiness is a choice because let's be honest, you're not always going to be happy. But that feeling beyond that, that feeling you feel more in your soul rather than your surroundings is a choice. I saw many individuals this summer who, despite their world basically being reduced to the four walls of a care center, they had so much joy. It may have come in a book, it may have come in a prayer, it may have come in a TV show or a phone call or a lottery ticket or a stuffed animal. However it came, they found it. So find your joy, embrace your joy, grow your joy because it's a choice that you get to make and sometimes it'll be harder to make that choice than others. Yeah, I love that, Danielle. I'm trying, you know, trying to get Chad to see that, you know. There's some things that aren't ideal in everyone's life, right? Right. You, you've got things that, you know, one of my sons is struggling with some, some things and it's hard and, you know, we're both parents, Chad and I are both the parents of the same child and he has a hard time moving beyond if one thing is bad, everything's bad, right? Does that make sense? Right. Versus I can find joy from sitting on the porch, watching the sunrise in the morning Mm -hmm. And still have sadness about something else that's going on and, and know that that's not perfect, but there's right. still joy to be found, even when mm-hmm. everything is not perfect. Right. So, well, and it's easy too if you start focusing on only the negative or the things that aren't going right, that's pretty soon that's all you see. So, you have to really train yourself to see the good. Well, you do. And if you only are going to experience joy when everything is right, you will never have it. Because there's never going to be a time when everything is right. There will always be something to, you know. So I love that. There was a movie, Life is Beautiful was the name of it. And it's got subtitles. It's in a foreign language. It might be French. I can't remember. It's set in World War II. And that was just a very powerful movie to watch because it was set in a concentration camp. I mean, I can't think of anything worse than, you know, having gone through World War II in a concentration camp. But the main character in the movie turns that concentration camp into a beautiful life for his young son. And it, mm-hmm. it's it's all about how how they approach every hard moment. And if we if, if they can approach, you know, if people can approach those types of hard situations and find joy, right. we can find joy. Right. Too. Anyway, that was a powerful movie to me. Well, and I think if you look back in history, we have it pretty easy in the days and age that we live in it's now. True. Yeah. People really lived in hardship and struggle Mm -hmm. in the past. And there are people living in hardship and struggle right now in different parts of the world that we don't even understand. Right. You know, we're we're here and there are places that are having war. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, we've got it pretty good. Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote was shared by Shannon McNeese. It's such a simple but profound quote from Muhammad Ali. The quote is, a man who views the world the same at 50 as he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. You know, I love that. It reminds me of a quote that when I was teaching, well, let's see if I can remember it. One of my principals said, it was like, you know, you could, you might have, you might be, have been teaching for 10 years, but were, did you have your, do you have 10 years of experience or one year of experience over and over? I think I said it really wrong. But it was the whole idea of, you know, you can keep living the same way every year. Every, like in, right. Yeah. and Without growth. Without growth. That's it. Yeah. It was all without right. growth. You need to have the growth. So uh-huh. 
30 years. And I just thought of that as a teacher. It was so profound because, you know, you you want to grow every year instead of just repeating that first year over and over again. Yeah, that's so true. It can apply it, we to anything. were having a conversation at work this weekend. This We were talking about marriage and how, you know, we got married in our 20s. A couple of us got married in our 20s. And, you know, in hindsight, this one girl has a daughter who's in her 20s and she thinks she might want to run off and elope or whatever. And I said, you know, if I could give a word of advice to everybody in their 20s, wait till you're 30 to get married. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't think you know who you are in your 20s. Well, you don't know who you are. That is a fact. You haven't lived enough (laughs) life to know who you are and what you want and, you know, what's important to you. And I mean, I know there are marriages who have made it for years and years and decades and they got married in their 20s. But more often than not, you see that people get into their 30s and 40s and realize the partner they chose is not the one they want to wake up beside. Or, but the rest of their, their partner life. is different too. That's the thing. Right. You know, who I they was. They grew, their partner didn't grow. You grew in different directions. Right. So yeah. Who I right. was at 20. We got married. We were 20 and 21, Chad and I, when we got married. And I don't know who I was back then. I don't even remember who I was. Exactly. Much less Chad. You know. Yeah. That was my point. I'm like, if you're in love, be in love and, you know, be together and whatever. But like, I really don't think there's any rush to hurry up and get married. Yeah. You can't tell that to somebody who's 21. No, no, no. They're not listening. Anyway, (laughs) like Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, I got married when I was 22, so I yeah. get it. I yeah. thought I had it all figured out at 22. We all do. We all do. We all, that's what, you I know, know. Talking about you know, the son who's struggling, it's the one who's 23. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, but they've got to make their mistakes. They've got to figure it out. And and that's another thing that Chad and I are struggling with because I know that he will figure it out or he won't, but I can't mm-hmm. fix it. You can't figure it out for I him. I can't tell him. I can make gentle suggestions, but you can't. You can't yep. go in and micromanage. You're like, all right, sink or swim, buddy. It yep. might be sink for a while, but eventually he will swim. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yep. It's hard. Well, this was a great episode. <laughs> we I really enjoyed Dr. Tabitha. Yeah, and, she's great. Um, I hope everybody learned something great today. I think they, they had to have. I learned new things, too. Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to have you join us in the private Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter. Your membership ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Reviews really do help us reach new listeners. We're a community-driven podcast, and here's how you can be a part of our show each week. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com or use the link in show notes and then listen each week to hear your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.